All right, thanks for singing with us. Uh, last week I was so encouraged, I thought this is gonna be weird to sing uh, together through a computer. Uh, and I was really encouraged by it. Um, and a lot of you even texted and sent messages. Um, and uh, there's something cool. It's as if there actually is a spirit of God that connects all of us. Uh, how funny, huh? That we actually maybe believe that today. Um, again, just a reminder, uh, the notes for this, we're going to look uh, into Job here or on that on that link that we uh, posted. In fact, I'll even I'll post it again here just so we have it. Uh, oh, it's not working. But uh, uh, oh, that's the wrong link. But there's notes. If you go scroll back up, there's some notes. Uh, that'll help us, and all the scripture will be in there. In fact, even more scripture. I, I'm going to kind of cut some of that out, but um, some scripture just too. I think it's important right now that we're uh, hearing from God and not just what Drew thinks. Um, and so, encourage you with um, to check that out. Um, I uh, recently was at a uh, a concert. Well, it's probably almost a year ago now, and or a little longer. And an interesting thing happened. I thought was. Uh, pretty funny. So I was kind of in the back. Uh, I guess I'm old, older, so I I have no desire to to cram up in the front close uh, to the band. But I was there. I was excited just to kind of hang, hang back and watch uh, and listen. And um, up up closer, uh, there was a guy who shimmied his way up. He was very excited. In fact, the people I was with, we noticed him because he was inching his way up and uh and he had his phone with him so he's holding up his phone right so the concert started and he first thing he did boop they in fact they even asked hey just leave your phones in your pockets let's just enjoy this together we don't need to tape this we in fact would prefer you not to you know record us it might even be illegal i don't know how that works but uh and so he's boop gets his phone up and i noticed because his phone pops up and I think, oh, wow, that's wild that he's recording this. Can he just enjoy it, you know? And I remember joking with the person I was with, hey, it's funny, this guy can't, I mean, does he need to remember all of this? And do you really experience a concert if you watch it whatever? So we're watching it. An interesting thing, we're, he starts watching, and then we just enjoy the show. The, the, they start playing, and it's great. Uh, and I look down a little bit into it, uh, in probably the first song even, and I notice uh, – that his, I notice his screen because it's bright, right? He's holding it up. His screen is not taping the, the band. His screen is actually his face. Like it's a, he has at some point hit the selfie button, boop, and he is now recording himself at a concert. I don't, I'm not sure what, what the motivation was there. Maybe he's just showing, hey, everybody, I'm at a concert. But for a few songs, so 10, a 15 minutes, he is holding a phone, taking a selfie video of himself, singing or dancing. I can't really see what he's doing because he's facing the band. Um, but he's at a concert. In front of him is this band and that he came to see, that we all came to see, to experience this together, the presence with the band. Like there's something different about just listening to the CD of the band or the tape or the the vinyl or whatever, or the MP3, whatever you prefer. Uh, there's something different, right? That's why we go to experience it in their presence to see them. And he decides in that moment that he's going to watch it. And he is watching his screen and like talking. And 
I don't know if maybe he's explaining what's happening at the concert, but he's experiencing, he's at, he's in the presence of the band and could experience his concert. Instead, he's ta taking a selfie video. And actually, he, he leaves, because uh, then I'm fascinated. Half this concert, I'm fascinated by this guy. I'm thinking, what is happening to this guy? I'm taking a note because I thought someday someday this will preach. I can, I can share this in a sermon. Uh, so he actually leaves. So then... Uh, uh, the, um, the, the band actually ends and another band is going to play. And in between, I go, uh, I, I walk out in the lobby and uh, he's out there on his phone, actually. This is wild. Talking, he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was that great. That's all I hear. Right? I just walk by him because I'm like, what is he? I'm so interested in who this person is and what they're doing. It wasn't that great. Maybe he's talking about something else. Maybe he's having, maybe, who knows what his day is. Uh, I'm sure he has a great reason. He can go to concerts however he wants. But interesting, he, you may have to think of the steps. He's at some point discovered this band, he's excited about them, saves his money to buy a ticket to go see them, to be in person with them, to experience that. He, go, he has to drive to the show, he gets to the show, he gets his way up to the front, he pulls out his camera because he's so excited to see them. And at some point in that process, excited to see them, be with them, he decides on his phone to hit the selfie button and turn it back on himself. And then apparently, I don't, in my mind, he went out in the lobby because it just wasn't the show he thought it'd be. Yeah, maybe because it was you and not the, the band, but who knows? I don't know who, who what he's doing. Um, I, I, I think it's fascinating and funny. Uh, and, uh, and, and maybe it's something like, old. it's some, I sound like an old man. Uh, a dad like why did you go to a concert and then take a selfie video but i um i think what an amazing picture of what often our relationship looks like with god and i think today this is what's gonna is happening with job we're in the book of job we're um continuing to dig in and there's this big chunk of job that last week we looked at and we saw kind of some misconceptions that job had a god because the fog of suffering came around him and he wasn't seeing clearly and thinking clearly and feeling clearly because this fog of suffering uh, was around him. And, and we saw he, he, he was starting to see God as this uh, unsettled, wavering teenager or this angry judge or an absent father. Um, and, and we looked into some of those, what that looked like, really what that fog feels like um, and how those things aren't true about God. And we're going to look at the actually the same uh chunk of scripture it's a long part of job where he and his friends talk and it points i think just ramble on about what why is job suffering job is a book of a story of a man who was um, upright with god and good and close was in the presence of god and uh satan wants to prove that job only loves god because god gives him things and not because he actually just loves god for god and so um god allows satan to to cause him to suffer and he takes everything from him including his family and eventually his health. And Job is sitting in a pile of ash, his Taurus clone, his, his clothes torn, uh, mourning, sad. And this is his processing of what, it, why is he sitting here? He was a faithful servant to God and loved God. And why would God do this to him? And so we see Job go from a trusting spirit to a demanding spirit. In fact, he uh, wants to take God to court. Um, plead his case. And so that's what we're going to look at. What does it look like to go from trusting spirit to a demanding spirit? Uh, and and really, what does Job say about God? And we want to uh, zoom into that a little bit.
um, today. I hope you're encouraged. I was encouraged by this uh, this week. What does it look like for Job to hit the selfie button? And, and what happens when we do that? Uh, spoiler, we become demanding and uh, disconnected and we end up walking to the lobby. <laughs> um, so if you have Bibles and you want to flip it open, otherwise all those are in that link on the Google Doc we shared. Um, and we're going to look at what that looks like. We, we see Job in Job 1, chapter 1 go from a man that God says is blameless and upright. Um, not blameless, perfect, but, but faithful to God, pursuing God in his life, loving people well. And he turns in chapter 38. He stands before God and God says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? He says, Job, you're foolish. You're darkening my counsel. Job now is the one bringing darkness. Um, so how, how does that happen? How do you go from there? And, and his pain that he's experiencing, the suffering, um, this cloud around him is causing him to go there. And I think I, I do the same thing. And so it can be helpful for us to look at that. Let's let's take a little journey through Job, the, the only just 38 chapters really quickly. So if you want to follow along, I've uh, put in the document. Otherwise, um, if you can flip quick in your Bible or just listen, um, I'm going to take you through this journey of how we see Job change his attitude towards God just in these. In Job 1, um, we hear Job say, he's, Job 1, we see uh, Job lose everything. All of his stuff, he was very wealthy, successful. All of his, uh, his uh, cattle and his, even his family is gone. Um, all in an instance. He hears this all in the same few moments. And he says, naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. All was taken from him, and in the first moments of that suffering, he can say, God, I still praise you. You give and you take, I still can trust you. In Job 2, we see his wife actually come to him and tell him to curse God and die. Um, and he says, you are full, foolish woman. But that word could even mean you've come without knowledge, which is what God says later to Job. You're foolish. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? He's saying good and bad can come, but, but God is still good. So he starts here. He's trusting God. That's hard to do. But he starts at a place already where he's following God. And then his struggle really begins. Real struggle comes, I think, with ongoing pain in the moment, in the quick Initially, you go, this hurts, this is hard, this is bringing worry or anxiety or a weight on me, I can trust God. But when that continues for hours and days, months, maybe uh, years, that pain wears on you. And reality really sets in, this might be new normal. Um, and so he curses the day he's born. His friends come and sit with him, and the next thing we see Job do is curse the day he's born. In Job 3... He says things like, may the day my, of my birth perish. I he wishes he wasn't, that day didn't exist. He wasn't born. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I come from the womb? This weight of pain on him. I just wish I wasn't born. In verse 24, he says, I have no peace, no quiet. I have no rest, only my turmoil. There's no peace in Job. He's um, just feeling that weight. Um, and that 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 pain um, is very fertile soil for this demanding spirit. Excuse me. Um, 
And we see this in Job chapter 5. We see Job um, actually use these words. He actually starts turning from just, oh, this is painful. I wish I wasn't alive. It's so painful. He starts uh, turning to thinking, why would... Why is this happening? Who is God that he would do this? So in Job 5, we hear him say, Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. Sparks fly upwards uh, from a fire. So man is born to trouble. But if it were I, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. So all of a sudden he's going, But God, why why would this come to me? I was faithful, I was upright, I was blameless. And then he makes a request in Job 6. Chapter six, if only my anguish could be weighed and all of my misery be placed on the scales. So all of his his misery, this weight, it was actually placed on scales as in weights, you know, to measure. It would surely outweigh the sands of the seas. No wonder my words have been uh, impetuous. He he says there's scales. If you weighed all of this, all of this anguish I'm feeling. They would outweigh all of the sand in the world, in the seas. Think that's, I mean, that's, right? Incredibly saying, there's so much pain and suffering. I feel so overwhelmed. And in verse 8, he says, Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to loose his hand and cut me off. If God would just end it end my life? Would he just crush me so I don't have to feel this pain? So in this, at this place, Job is still, I think, uh, looking, looking to God um, to save him. But the way to save him is to just end the pain. Um, He's feeling this uh, long suffering, and he wants to, it to be over. Um, After this, it switches. It begins to change. So he's changing from this, blessed be the name of the Lord, to, God, just end this, it's so hard. So he actually begins to complain a lot and start accusing God of maybe this was not the right decision. In fact, he starts using court language. So he starts saying, God, I want to take you to court. I wish I could go before the judge and say, you made the wrong choice. Let me Let me explain everything. Maybe you missed something. Before we get there, though, this language started in here, and I started thinking, oh, what um, what would that mean to take someone to court? My only court knowledge is from watching, like, Law & Order, you know, bam, 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 bam. That isn't real, I assume, or movies um, where everything's really dramatic and someone gives an amazing uh, closing statement and, and the jury is moved. And, and then there's every time a court case is over, there's a whole crowd of reporters on the steps of a giant courthouse and everyone's asking questions and no comment and they're rushing people out with coats over their heads right and i assumed that's probably not how all things go so i called a friend um who uh goes goes to church with us who's a lawyer and he said hey um in a few minutes explain to me how going to court actually works and she informed me law and order might not be the best uh place to learn uh uh, what, what that looks like, but she shared some things with me that I think were really helpful as we move into this scene, Job starts saying, I'm going to take you to court, God, for what you've done. She shared some things. The reason you would take someone to court generally, now this is obviously very general. This is not le- actual legal advice. Um, so do not take this as that. Um, you take someone to court because you've reached an impasse. You have no other options. You can't 
just mediate it by talking. You feel like they don't want to listen or you don't want to listen. You might feel like uh, both sides feel like they're right, uh, but that right are two different things. And so you want to go to say, hey, this is why we're right and this is why we're right. Um, and uh, in <laughs> when you go to court, someone comes out having won that. Uh, a decision will be made that will be legal that will say, okay, this is what is going to happen and, and this is what is right. So when God goes, I asked my uh, friend who was a lawyer, I said, what do you, what would you, how would you interpret this passage? Um, and she said, well, Job here, it's as if he's going to God and saying, God, you made a call here as judge. And I don't know if that was the right call. You, you might've missed something. You maybe didn't get all the facts. So a person would go to court uh, and then if they didn't like the decision, they could appeal it and they could say, hey, I think you didn't get all the facts right. Or maybe the judge wasn't thinking clearly. Uh, we've, maybe the judge is corrupt or was influenced. And so Job here we see sees God as a dispenser of justice. But maybe I made the wrong call as he calls him to court. We're going to see how that plays out here as Job talks. In fact, it, when you went to court, if you didn't like the ruling, not just didn't like, but you really felt like it was wrong and that you were wronged, you could appeal it, go to different judges that are kind of above that judge, say, hey, we don't think this judge made a good call. And if you don't like that, you can go to Supreme Court. Um, we hear about that, right? All, always on law and order, which apparently doesn't happen that often. Um, you could go there, you keep saying, well, there's a judge that's like above the judge who maybe knows more, has more authority. So even in that, there's a, there's a sense here of Job saying, I'm going to go to the judge that's greater than the judge, or I'm going to go maybe I, I know more than the judge. So the change is their relationship and how he's viewing God as judge. And so let's look at what that looks like now as Job starts talking as if he wants to take God to court. We see in Job 7, remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. The eye that now sees me will see me no longer. You will look for me, but will be no more. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who goes to the grave does not return. I'll never come to my house again. This place will know him no more. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. This is the switch, right? He's going, boop. He's looking at Job. What's Job, what's Job dealing with? And he's starting to hear his friends at this point. His friends have been talking to him more and more. Job, what did you do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. Who's, who's God to do this? Um, and so he will not stay silent. He's going to plead his case. In Job 8, we hear, but you will look to God and plead with the Almighty. If you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. They're saying you plead with God, and if you are pure and upright, he will take away this suffering and put you back in the right place. Which sounds like God missed something. Um, in, nine, in, in Job 9, we hear, but how can a mortal be righteous before God? Though one wished to dispute with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. We hear in 9, though I were innocent, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. I'm innocent. And this judge made this verdict on me, this decision. And uh, I can plead with him. I, I, 
for mercy, please, please. In 10, we hear, I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me? Hear these words, does it please you to oppress me? To spur the work of your hands, will you smile on the schemes of the wicked? How different is that language with Job? Does it please you to oppress me while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? He's saying, are you the kind of judge who, who enjoys oppressing people and smiles over wicked schemes? And we, we hear Job in 13, keep silent and let me speak. Then let, uh, then, then let come to me what may. What I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him, I will surely defend my ways to his face. His hope is still that he can go to God and say, hey, hey I, I think you made a mistake here. Please restore me. His pain has turned uh, his camera on himself, and he's thinking about his pain, and that pain uh, causes all of his thoughts, all of his rationale to be like, why is this happening to me? What about me? What about my my situation and my pain, you must love watching me suffer. He says in verse 18 of chapter 13, so Job 13, 18, now that I have prepared my case, I know I'll be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. He's confident now in his case. He says, I, I will be vindicated. I prepared my case and I will meet you in court and if there's any charges against me, I was upright and blameless. And if that's not true, I'll just be silent and die. This is a new confidence about him. Oh, when I see God and I talk to him, I will, he'll see how good I am. And this will change. All of a sudden his thinking has gone from, blessed be the name of the Lord. He, he gives and he takes, but he's still good to, I, I don't know if he knows what's going on. And, and I'm really good. And I don't deserve this. And, and uh, uh, it's, it's a different thought. It's, it starts with Job and how the world works centered around Job instead of a God who's good. And we can trust, trust him. In verse 19, he just, he just starts to say what, what's, all these things are leading to. Though I cry, I've been wronged. I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. Who, who holds on to justice? God creates justice. What is right? How the world works rightly. And Job is saying there is no justice. No one's holding on to that. And as he continues here in Job 23, we see, I would state my case before him, fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would, uh, what he would answer me and I consider what he would say. Would he oppose me with great power? No, he would not press charges against me. Once I've stated my case, God can't press charges against me because I'm right. There an upright man could present his case before him and I would be delivered forever for my judge. Job is now uh, starting to believe, I think, that the reason he's suffering is because he's something. he did something wrong against God. We know actually earlier in Job, we actually see God and Satan interact. And God says, Job is upright. He's good. Our relationship is 
tight. We're close and I'm, and I'm honored by him and respected by him and worshiped by him rightly. And that's why I want Satan to, to choose him to sh- prove that this isn't the kind of relationship we have. And now Job is starting to think in that same way that Satan uh, is, thinks people have relationship with God, that it's just about how, what we get. And it's all exchanges and not a relationship with a person. He thinks I am an upright person. And so therefore I should not be suffering. And uh, isn't true. And so as we end here, Job's comments, um, he ultimately starts just not believing in the justice system, God's justice system. In, in chapter 23, he says, but he stands alone who can oppress him. He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me and many such plans he has in store. This is why I'm terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. He fears him, but no longer fears him out of respect and reverence in awe of him. It sounds like his fear now comes from God does whatever he wants. He stands alone and who can oppose him. He's the kind of judge who just throws out um, decrees, orders. He just makes decisions on people's lives, whatever pleases him. And now I'm scared of this judge who doesn't run on justice, runs on just uh, pettiness. God continued his, his uh, and Job continued his discourse in chapter 26. As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the almighty, who has made me taste bitterness of soul. Now he just says it. He says, God has denied me justice. God, God is not a just judge. In Job 31, as he ends his demands, his spirit going from trusting to demanding, he says, oh, in verse um, chapter 31, verse 35, oh, that I, have, uh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign my own defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it out like a crown. I would give him an account for my every step. Like a prince, I would approach him. Can you see this? Even friends around him, like, would you actually go? Are you going to go talk to God? He's like, I would talk to God. I'd go right to his face and I would tell him exactly who I am. Every step of what I've done. He is not judged justly. He's demanding now from God to give him reasons why and tell him why he feels oppressed and hurt. He's gone from trusting to demanding He's gone from believing in a just, right, good, loving God to an unjust judge. This is understandable. How often do we hear this, right? You start reading uh, uh, just history in our own country of how different groups of people have been treated. And you hear about a lots of injustice. You hear lots of judges who didn't judge right. You hear uh, historically all over the world, you hear about people who are in power, who use that power for themselves to oppress people who do smile on the wicked. And so if we start hitting the selfie button, looking at ourselves, and all we're looking at is the world around us, the news that we're listening to, the friends around us, and we ourselves are trying to figure out how does this all work? And we create our own justice system in that which revolves around, I'm getting what I want, then yes, the justice system of God is wrong. And I start applying, well, these people around me and historically have, have treated people horribly through justice system, then our God's justice system must also 
be wrong. We start looking at us and then how the world goes from our view instead of looking up and seeing what the world looks like from God's view. And so today, I just want us to be encouraged that we do have a just God. Here's, here's how insane and how amazing this story is of our just God. We can't forget this story. When we start looking to ourselves and everything around us, we're going to start believing that God smiles on the wicked and, and loves to oppress us. In a time when we feel uncertain, anxious, when it feels like chaos and the world's changing around us, um, I'm stuck in my home. I, I, I'm a, I need to remember the, real, the story of, of our true judge. It's a story of people who have turned against a king who are treasonous. In, in Romans 3, we hear that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all turned and decided to worship everything around us. We've hit the selfie button and looked all around and said, all of these things are worth our praise and not the creator God. And so we've turned from our God and committed treason against the most supreme, uh, loving, highest order of kings, the king of kings. And in Romans 6, 23, we hear that what is the charges against us when we're brought to court before that king, who's also the, the judge, the sovereign judge, the all-powerful judge, the sentence we get for our treason is death, for the wages of sin is death. So we have been sentenced to death. We are on death row waiting uh, to, to play that out, death and sin weigh on us. We've been disobedient and turned from God. And in that moment, we could feel, oh, you love, you love this God. You must be the kind of God who wants his people to die. You want only perfect people, and none of us are perfect. A curse has been put on us. Here's, here's what's wild. That judge who sentenced us to death because of our treason, loves us so much in such an enormous way that he has to find a way to save his family and his kids because he doesn't want them to die. And so because he's just and things have to be right, there can't be people who get off and some people who do. There can't be people who, who uh, skirt around the law and some do. He says, no, this is, this is the law. You've broken the law. And there's a sentence and your sentence is death. So that must be fulfilled. Someone must die. And so God, in his infinite love for us, the judge who sends us to death is the judge who gives his son, sends him into the jail. He puts on our jumpsuit and he goes to a cross and dies for us. In Galatians 3.13, we hear Christ redeemed us from this curse, this sentence of the law by becoming the curse for us. Could you imagine in a case, a judge sentencing someone to death and then saying, I don't want you to die. And so I'm going to send my family in your place. They will die. So you don't have to die and you will be free. Well, this is how much our God loves us. As he sent Christ to come and die for us on a cross in fact, in 1 John 4, 9, we hear this. It says, this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world 
that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, atoning sacrifice in our place. He died so that we would not have to die. That's unlike any judge we're going to ever encounter uh, around us, just in our world, right? That's a judge judge that's beyond us, that's sovereign, all-powerful, who loves us, has found a way to bring us back to him. That's not a judge who smiles on the wicked, but in fact sends his son to die at the hands of the wicked so that we could live. I love how um, John Piper says this. He has a book called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. It's like a devotional. I often read that at Easter time every year. Um, And one of the things he says that has stuck out to me for a long time is that you got to listen carefully. Uh, He explains uh, to the parts of God. It says, if God were not just, there'd be no demand for his son to suffer and die. And if God were not loving, there'd be no willingness for his son to suffer and die. So if he wasn't just, he would just say, you know what, forget it. It's okay that you're treasonous and you're disobedient. You worship everything other than me, that you turn from me. It's okay that you do evil things. No, it's not okay because I'm a just judge, a just God. But it's not okay that you're dying. And so he's loving. And so then he has to be willing to send his son to suffer and die for us. It says, but God is both just and he's loving. Therefore, his love is willing to meet the demands of his justice. Hear this. His love is willing to meet the demands of his justice. His love is so enormous. He's willing to sacrifice so that justice will be, will be taken care of. He's still just, but he's still loving. We still get to be his children. So God is a right just who sentenced us for treason, for disobedience, And then in order for this justice to prevail and for his people to be rescued, his sons and daughters, for you and me to be called his family, he sends Jesus to take that death sentence. Could you imagine a judge doing that? What a loving God we have. And right now we're staying home because of this pandemic. And I could feel like I want to switch to selfie mode, that I want to go to like, this is not fun. I'm so sick of being home. I have to like watch movies and drink coffee all day and, uh, you know, take naps on my couch. And uh, it is hard though, right? We're isolated and away from people and our schedules are all mixed up. And if you have kids in your home, uh, it's a little hard to get work done when they're everywhere and they're not sure what to do either. And we're all anxious. There's a pandemic around us and we feel the pull to switch on the selfie mode, right? To go, to look away from God and say, oh, look at me, and this is so hard. We start to think how the world works and how everything works around us by just looking to the world around us, by watching enough videos and reading enough statistics and talking to enough friends, interacting with people on a walk, and all we talk about is this one pandemic, right? This virus that's going to infect us, the worry we lay in bed and think, I've never worried so much about being sick it's it's overcome me. We look to creation instead of our creator. It's it's easy to do. And we find ourselves, I think, going from trusting God to, to demanding of God. Someone needs to be in trouble for this. We couldn't we I think we become prisoners to this pandemic. 
And one of the ways, I think, the way is to believe the gospel, the good news that a God has found a way to save us from a much bigger, much more powerful, eternal pandemic. That the curse has been taken from us. There's a disease that has been spreading throughout the world for a long, long time, and Jesus has taken it. We're free, we're helped. We can be vaccinated from sin and death, um, which has far darker and deeper consequences than any COVID-19 can have. What a glorious day that we can be free from that. And we are free now to share that hope that frees us not only from an eternal curse, but frees us from being enslaved to even this current threat. Whatever happens to me, I'm still free and alive in Christ. Friends, we are freed and cured and sent to love others as God has loved us. What an opportunity we have. Our God is right, and he's he has sentenced us to death for treason, but has freed us in his love. We do have a perfect judge and a loving judge, and a loving God and a loving Father, and I pray we would rest in that today. I have a, a few things I want us to consider as we move forward so we don't just sit in this and go, oh, God is good. Um, but then we just switch back to our selfie modes. Today, as we wrap up here, uh, we're going to take communion in, in a few minutes and pray for one another. But I want you to consider uh, a few things. Do you know that Jesus came to take our curse, this disease, this virus that we have that would bring death, has taken it from us? If you don't, today's the day to... to to understand that this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Do you find yourself flipping to selfie mode? You know, when, when do you find yourself flipping to selfie mode? We do, we do that. When does pain turn you to just look at yourself? Because the more we look at ourselves, I think the more hopeless we get, because I'm not going to save myself from much. How do you remind yourself that God is loving and just? This is, I encourage you to think about being in this, being in the word is an opportunity for us to look to God who he is, what he's done, and be reminded of how good he is, being his presence. Prayer is an opportunity to be in his presence. It's, it's why we're meeting three times a week to pray um, online right now. Um, that's why we encourage you to get with gospel friends, to find small group, or just find people that you can be encouraged by um, and not isolate yourself in this. Who's going to remind you to not just look at yourself, but look to a God who's good and just? And then who do you know who needs to hear that God is loving and just? Who who needs a reminder that there's a God who loves them a lot, immensely, and is with them? Could your response to a pandemic show an even greater response that God has had to a cursed world? Could the way we respond to this right now show people what it looks like to respond to the greater pandemic of sin and death in our lives? I want to take a second to pray for us, and then I'm going to ask us to share, actually share prayers uh, quickly, and we're going to end by taking. Uh, communion together. Um, so let me pray and then we're going to share. Lord, thank you that you are good and you are right, that you do not smile on the wicked, but in fact, you've taken care of the wicked in Christ who has come to defeat sin and death, that you love us. I pray we'd rest in that love. We'd be soaked in that love that uh, we would look to you and look to you and look to you and look to you throughout this next week. We'd resist the temptation to just look at ourselves and, and uh, complain and to accuse you, but we would look to you and how good you are. I pray you'd uh, encourage us this week and that we would be able to encourage others in that. Amen.